Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we're joined by community pastor Ian Simpkins as we begin a brand new series, Making Memories. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. And now on Monday nights at 6.30 p.m. We hope to see you there. Good morning, community. How are you feeling this morning? It is so good to be with you this morning. Also, if you look under your seat, you all have ginger water under your seat. So as a gift, what even is that? I have no idea. Um, so I want to I propose an idea that I, I don't think will blow your mind, but it's something that I don't know that we often live cognizant of. And is that the stuff that we do right now will be memories 5, 10, 15 years from now. The stuff that we do like today, this week, this month, will be the stuff that we talk about 5, 10, 15 years down the road. Actually, I'd like to do a, a, a bit of a brief exercise. Why don't you all just close your eyes real quick. <laughs> don't worry, it's not a scam. Just close your eyes. <laughs> and I want you to think about your last 24 hours. Think about your last day. What did you do? Who did you see? Did you do any work around the house? Is a spouse nudging you right now because I asked that question? Did you see any friends? Did you go out at night? Did you go on any adventures? Did you read anything good? Did you watch anything good? Did you eat anything good? Okay, open your eyes. Okay, how many of you struggled to even remember what you did yesterday? Anybody? Like, I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday, let alone what activities I did. But I, I think it's interesting that all of those things, they, when we experience them, they, they first go to our hippocampus, our short-term memory, and then a couple of seconds later, it's sort of sent to various different regions of the brain, and they become memories. The stuff that we're going to do this afternoon, this week, this month, will become memories later down the road. So I thought I'd actually walk you through my last 24 hours uh, via the magic of imagery. What, would that be fun? Would it be all right if I do that together? I'm going to do it anyway. So here we, here we go. Um, first off, yesterday was Saturday, so, so I did sleep in a little bit. I only got up at 5 in the morning um, and was super pumped to do so. And I, of course, then you know read scripture for three hours, then I did Gregorian chant, and then I visited a homeless shelter. No, I, uh, and then three hours later when I actually woke up, um, <laughs> in a much better mood. So I decided to sneak into the, uh, the kitchen and, uh, cook breakfast for my family. Here I am being a great cook. Um, I don't know how to cook. I have no idea how to cook at all, but I do know how to do laundry. So I then went, did a load of laundry. I'm really excited about that. I don't, Who's taking these photos, right? Like it's, <laughs> I didn't think that through entirely. Anyway, I love clearly not like separating anything. It's just all going into one massive pile. And then, you know, we're a, we're a green family. We're really into, you know, recycling and stuff. So I had to go to the recycling bin. You know, now that I'm looking at it, I think that's the wrong bin. I don't even think I put that. That shows how much recycling that we do, obviously. But while I was out there, uh, I realized that my... Uh, my wife's tire was flat, so I went to go fix her tire, and um, <laughs> for those of you playing along at home, that's not how you change a tire at all. I would not, I would not recommend that. But because Jesus tells us to be a good neighbor, I thought, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go shovel the neighbor's walk, so I went and did that, and uh, he was really grateful for that effort, and he... Um, 
this is where he called the cops on me, I think, <laughs> if I recall correctly. And so at this point in the day, I've got a lot accomplished. So I thought, okay, it's time to just... It's time to just chill. I need to just relax a little bit. So this was my choice of uh, recreation. <laughs> we just moved to this house. Our neighbors are so done with us already. Like, I'm sure they're all so weirded out. So after, after all this, you know, all these really incredible things that I've done with my day, my wife sort of like, hey, what, what about me? Remember me, your wife? And I thought, baby, I got you covered. So I offered her a, a lovely foot massage. I'm sure she's thrilled that her feet are on the Jumbotron right now. I don't, I probably should have asked her permission before posting that. While I'm rubbing your feet though, uh, I hear that a wild animal is caught in uh, a tree in our front yard. So I decided to head out to rescue this wild animal from the tree and um, (laughs) don't worry, he's fine. Um, So if you're like looking at that list of activities and you're thinking like, wow, Ian's a really great guy. That was what I was trying to convey. Um, But these are jokes, obviously. My day yesterday probably looked a whole lot more like this. Anyone? Can anyone resonate with that? Yeah. (laughs) Applause in the upper balcony, right on. (laughs) The point is this, though. Um, What we do makes memories, good or bad. There's probably memories that we want to treasure forever, probably memories that we would be okay forgetting. Either way, what we do creates memories. And this series is about how can we be more intentional about actually making memories for the kinds of memories that we want to last. Like, I, I think of memories like this one, like my wedding day. Like, how, how beautiful was my bride? Like, that, I, I will remember this moment for the rest of my life changed, changed my life. I think about like afternoons with my boy, just like hanging out. How cute is that kid? Come on. (laughs) Clearly all her. Uh, (laughs) Like I, like I cherish just getting to like hang out with him, just spend time with him. And all he does is like spit right now. That's it. (laughs) I, I think about, about this place. I think about being a part of a church community. This was when like hands raised, y'all prayed for my wife and I. I think about being a part of a, a church community that feels more like a family that's on mission together. Like th- th- those are the memories that I want to cherish forever. And I think most of us probably will kind of nod in agreement like, yeah, yeah, those are the things that we should cherish. But does anyone feel the tension that sometimes in our head we, we know what is or should be that priority, but when we actually look at the way that our lives are organized, it doesn't quite reflect that? In fact, there's a, a rabbi uh, named Harold Kushner who said pretty famously this, no one ever said on their deathbed, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. The problem with a deathbed realization like that is that if you're realizing on your deathbed, it's probably a little too late. Jesus, in a, a pretty uh, well-known encounter, is kind of cornered by some religious leaders, and they ask him to sum up like all the law and the prophets, like just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ideas and philosophies and lists and laws. He asked him to sum it up, and Jesus essentially said, yeah, I can sum it up. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. Which is sort of like saying what? People matter. Invest in relationships. Make that the 
priority. But I'll be the first to admit, I've, I've heard this verse preached. I've sat in chairs just like this and nodded in agreement when the pastor said, man, we need to invest in people. We need to make that a priority. And then I walked out the doors and I lived at the same breakneck pace that I always had been. So why, why the tension? Why, why do we like know like somewhere deep in our core, like yeah, people are what it's actually about. But a lot of times maybe we're just living so jam-packed full of things that people are actually the first to go. Why, why don't our lives always reflect what we say is actually true of us at our core? There's a, uh, a pastor named John Ortberg that I really, really respect and appreciate. He wrote this book. This is like one of my favorite book titles. Um, Everybody's normal till you get to know them. <laughs> Can I get an amen, right? That's, don't point, don't point. That's not nice. Um, so... In this book, he reveals uh, some research that was done um, at Harvard, and they found uh, in their research that the two most meaningful human experiences are achieving and connecting. Universal across continents, across demographics, across generations, the two most meaningful human experiences are achieving and connecting. Now achieving is like, it's, it's the success stuff, right? It's uh, whatever, however you define that. It's career, it's salary, it's, it's accomplishments, it's recognition, whatever that, whatever that is, it's climbing a ladder, it's moving forward. And then the connecting piece is the, is the relational piece. It's the investing in and being invested in by the people that matter most to us. It's this, it's this man, we, we, we don't just know each other's names, but we're like, we're like in this together. And before I go any further, let me just say, both of these are good, okay? I'm not gonna like pit one against the other, but what this researcher found was that as a culture, we've become more devoted to and obsessed with, which one do you think? Achieving. And he argues at the detriment of connecting, which I find kind of ironic actually because isn't connecting often what drives and motivates so much of our achieving? Like, does, it, does anyone ever do something awesome and then, like, not want anyone to know about it, right? Like, why do we so often, like, put in the long hours or go the extra mile? It's, it's usually in an effort to connect with people, right? I mean, we may not say it this way, but don't we often feel like, man, if, if I could accomplish this, or if I could make it to this status, then maybe this person would see me as valuable. Maybe then I'd be a good father. Maybe I'd be a good protector. I'd be a good brother or a spouse or friend. Whatever it is, the the subtext often of our achieving is connection. But this researcher asserts that we become more and more obsessed with achieving and we're getting less and less skilled at like true, meaningful connection. Not just likes on a Facebook feed, but like true, deep, abiding connection. I've heard it said that the sickness of our society is hurry, worry, and busy. Hurry, worry, and busy. The great philosopher Dallas Willard said that we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our life for hurry is the great enemy of spiritual maturity. And I'll be really honest, I've hurried through most of this last week. Like even just the difficulty for me to stand here right now and to talk about our need to like step back and slow down is hard for me because I'm really, really not good at it. I love the achieving piece. What hill are we taking next? What project are we tackling? Whatever that thing is, I want to go after it. I want to go after it hard. 
the slowing down, the stepping back is difficult for me. So how do, how do we actually change this? How, how do we grow in this like sacred act of, of connecting? Well, not surprisingly, I actually think Jesus has a lot to teach us about this. Uh, in Matthew 20, I'll set the scene. Jesus and a large crowd of people are making the 15-mile journey from Jericho to Jerusalem. And uh, this is by foot, mind you. No, no Uber in this day. They're walking to Jerusalem. And uh, the people walking with them have seen Jesus do some pretty incredible things. And so there's a lot of different opinions about who Jesus is from the crowd. But the general consensus is that this guy's the guy who's been foretold who's going to overthrow Rome and be our new earthly military king. And now Jesus knows that he's going to Jerusalem for a very different reason. Either way, they're making this long journey. And imagine that you're in that crowd. Like the person that you've been hearing about for generations to come, you think this Jesus might actually be him, the Messiah that we've been told about. We've seen this guy do some crazy things. I mean, who doesn't want to follow a guy that keeps reproducing meals till everyone's fed? That's a guy worth canceling some weekend plans to hang out with, right? So this crowd isn't just like reluctantly walking along. Like, I want you to imagine the electricity of like being in that environment. Like, that's the guy. It's finally happening. We're going to Jerusalem. So the the adrenaline's pumping. People are psyched. And then in verse 29, we read this. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And then two blind men were sitting by the roadside And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they knew who Jesus was, or they at least heard stories. They shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. What did the crowd do? The crowd rebuked them. And let's not be too quick to judge the crowd just yet, because I think a lot of us may be inclined to do the same thing. The the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they weren't having it. They shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. What does it say Jesus did? He stopped. Jesus stopped and he called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight and followed him. So I want you to, I want you to enter into the story again for a moment. Like imagine you're a part of the crowd and as you're making your way to Jerusalem, like you, the excitement just continues to grow, right? Like we, we're on a mission. We're with this Jesus guy. Wherever he's going, we're going. Let's, let's go crush some Roman skulls, right? It's payback time. So you're with this crowd. I have no idea how big it is, but like I imagine just getting like more and more like rambunctious and excited. And then what happens? A couple of guys kind of off to the side start shouting for Jesus' attention, so what do you feel in that moment? Do you, like, do you feel a little agitated, a little irritated? Like, not, not now. We have a mission. We have a thing that we're doing. We can't be distracted by that right now. Now imagine you or maybe somebody near you actually is the person that shouts to these two blind men. Can, can you shut up? We have things we got to do. We have a schedule. We have a plan. We have a mission. He can't be bothered with you right now. And yet Jesus often does what no one expected, what no one could have seen coming. And he actually addresses them. He interacts with them in a way that no one expected. He stops, he interacts, he actually engages with them, and then he heals them. Let's not miss that part. Right? He doesn't like 
offer them some coaching tips on like living with blindness, right? He doesn't like give them a manual. Like he, he restores their sight. Their lives are changed forever. And then they follow him too. They join the crowd. So there's a couple of things that I, I want to kind of pull out. This is a short story. It's like six verses, but I think it's packed with meaning in what it means to live with this sacred awareness that we're meant to connect with one another. So I want to pull out a couple of observations about what Jesus shows us here. The first is that he slows down. This one maybe like seems obvious, right? But amidst like the crowd and the agenda and the goal and the objective, like Jesus stopped. It's simple, but I think it's really, really meaningful. Like has anyone ever... Has anyone ever told you that you need to like slow down a little bit? Anyone ever had someone tell you that? And then maybe your response was, I can't afford to slow down. I have too much to do, right? We've all been there to some degree. I can't afford right now. I'll get to it later. I remember uh, my family is in Detroit and my little sister would, uh, would call pretty regularly. And I remember there was a couple of weeks slash months that were just really crazy busy. And so she was like, hey, are we going to talk today? And I said, it's really crazy this week. Can we talk next week? And after doing this a couple of times, my little eight-year-old sister finally said, you say every week is a crazy week. <sighs> that like knocked the wind out of it for me. Not, not just because it like cut to the core, but because she was right. You say Every week is a crazy week. You keep assuming that on, like, over the hill of next week, then you'll have more time. Then you'll have ability to slow down. In the midst of all this chaos and noise and excitement, Jesus slows down. He stops. There was a, uh, an article in The Atlantic that did this really brilliant research, like, of brain mapping and neurological patterns. And they found that when the brain has, like, a moment to rest, just to stop with the achieving kind of effort... Uh, it automatically enters into what's called the default configuration. So whenever our brain, whenever we have a moment to step back, to stop like achieving and accomplishing, it enters into the default configuration automatically. What they found is really interesting that the default configuration is almost identical to a, another, uh, another configuration called social thinking. And social thinking is probably what you guessed. It's, it's thinking about others. So the patterns, the configurations are almost identical so that when our brains have a moment to hit pause, it goes social. It begins to see other people more clearly. In fact, the researcher wrote this. He said, the default network directs us to think about other people's minds, their thoughts, feelings, and goals. I love that we're hardwired that when we step back to pause for a moment, our brain begins to look to the needs of other people that actually listens to them, not just to respond, but to actually understand. But it requires what? That we first stop. That we slow down. We're wired for connection, but it requires us to slow down. So the question I want to ask is this, am I slowing down enough to connect with the people in my life? Second thing that Jesus does is that he sees these men. He sees them. He wasn't distracted by all the chaos around him. If anyone's agenda was worth sticking to the plan, it'd be Jesus's, right? Like he of all people should have been the one like, nope, we got a plan, sorry, can't be bothered, laser focus. He's not distracted by what the crowd are saying. Their, their impulse to dismiss these men in fact, he calls them near. I love this about Jesus. He doesn't want to just acknowledge them. He wants to come in close with them. Like, think about it. He was 
he was Jesus, right? So like, he could have done just like walked on by. He's like, what's up? Yeah, boom, healed. You're welcome. I'm out. Like, he could have. That still would have been an awesome story. Probably been recorded a little different. But you know what I mean? Like, he didn't require, he didn't have like a, like a short range miracle finger. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't require that. And yet he chose to come close because I think there's so much more going on in this story than just simply a couple of guys being healed. He sees them when the crowd says, ignore them. And then he says, come near, get in close. Jesus is always doing this. He didn't want to just acknowledge them. He wanted to enter into a relationship with them. Makes me think of a a story of a guy named Jake Peavy. Now, Jake is a uh, former major league pitcher, um, but not just any pitcher. He's a good pitcher. 2007, he won the Cy Young Award, and he's been an all-star and played in two World Series. But in uh, 2016, he he fell into a Ponzi scheme with a couple of other players, and he, he lost everything. Like, like $15 million, everything. Not only that, his wife of 15 years divorced him. So like this guy who had been like high achiever, high success, was being paid millions of dollars for like his dominance in the game. Like now it's just unraveled. And that unraveling led him to come to some really important conclusions that he, he had missed what was most important in his life, the people who were most important in his life. In fact, in an interview, he said this. He said, I have four boys I'm responsible for in life, and I just feel deep down that it's in my best interests and my family's interests to be there through this time. Now, that may not sound profound or poetic, but here's a guy that for much of his career missed it had put all his eggs, <clears throat> excuse me, at the achieving basket. And then the bottom dropped out. And when the bottom drops out, it has a way of kind of snapping us out of our sleepwalk, doesn't it? Has anyone experienced that before? When some kind of unexpected tragedy, something devastating in your life happened, you sort of like snap out of it. What if instead of waiting for tragedy, we decide today together, no, these are the people that God's placed in my life. I'm gonna say no to some things, even good things, in order to say yes to the best things in my life. Like I, I, have, I have the weird, strange privilege and honor of, um, of having done a lot of funerals in my life. And on the one hand, as a pastor, like, being with people in those moments is is it really is an honor. It's it's a very very humbling experience to be with people um, as they're walking through grief and sorrow. On the other hand, it's strange because I've I've done so many at this point that you begin to notice that at every <clears throat> every funeral there's there's almost always like the same types of statements that are said at all of them. And the statements go something like this. As people gather, they say, oh man, it's been so long. Why, is it, why has it been so long? Oh man, I haven't seen you in so long. Oh, it's been so long. What's going on? And in response, I almost always hear them say, ah oh, man, sorry, life got in the way. You ever heard that? Life got in the way? What does that mean? Life is the thing. Like the breath in our lungs right now is, like, is a gift from God. Life got in the way? Why does it take like devastating loss for us to like snap out of it? Like, oh man, there's critically important people in my life that I've not been investing in. I've not been paying attention to. I've not been slowing and stopping and seeing. I've been more concerned with achieving. So the question maybe we should ask is, am I really seeing the people in my life? Am, am I really seeing my spouse 
Or am I just sort of coexisting with them? Am, am I really seeing my friends or is like a couple of text threads kind of the substance of our relationship? Like, am, am I really seeing my kids or am I just shuffling them from activity to activity to activity? Am, am I really seeing the people in my life? Jesus saw these men amidst all the chaos and brought them near. The last thing, Jesus served. He served. Now this one's a little tricky because serving can sometimes feel like accomplishing, Right? It feel like achieving. It feel like tasks. The thing at the very core of Jesus serving here is that it's deeply relational. He doesn't swoop in and be like, hey, let me tell you what I'm going to do for you, right? He asks them what was even maybe an obvious question. What can I do for you? What do you need? How can I help? He enters into their story. And it says that he had compassion on them. The word compassion literally is the word that means like guts or bowels. He just wasn't made aware of their issue. Like, no, he, he like felt it deeply. And isn't that ultimately what we want for our closest relationships? Not just for you to like be aware of my pain or my joy, but like for you to enter into that. Jesus experienced that deeply. His compassion for them moved him to, to action. But it first started with relationship. So the question maybe we can ask is this, am I serving the real needs of the people in my life? The real needs. Slow, see, serve. Slow, see, serve. What would it look like if we began to apply that more intently to the people closest to us in our life? So what I want to do to close, I want to invite you to all take your cell phone out right now and uh, if you don't have one, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> but take that out, and uh, I'm going to invite you to take a picture of this slide right here. And um, I mean, I can like give you a thumbs up if that would help at all. Like, uh, that probably makes it worse, doesn't it? Yeah. I want you to take a picture of this screen, and um, I want you to think about like who who are the people that maybe throughout this talk. God's brought to your mind as someone that you need to invest in. You need to slow down. You need to see. You need to serve. Because one of the things that I sort of love, hate about social media is that, like, we have all these apps and stuff now that, like, you know, Time Hop or Facebook Memories where you, like, you're reminded of that really dumb thing you said four years ago. You're like, great, thanks for that reminder. But on the other hand, though, you ever ever had that experience where something pops up and you're like, oh, man, I forgot about that road trip. I forgot about that, that weekend. Or maybe even, I forgot about that friend. Man, I haven't talked to them in so long. So what I, what I want to invite you to do is sometime in the next 24 hours, carve some time out for one of the people that God laid on your heart and make a meaningful memory with them. And when you do, post that photo online with just like a sentence or two about what you did, what it meant to you, what you felt, And then every year, that'll show up in our feed. A year, two years, five years, ten years. We'll be reminded, oh yeah, when things get crazy, when things get chaotic, slow, see, serve. That's the kind of life that I want to live because ultimately, it's not just about making memories. It's, It's about living in the fullness of who Jesus made us to be. A God who didn't just simply give like a list of rules or ideas, he gave himself fully. That's how we help people find their way back to God. By carving out time, by being with them, by entering into their story and allowing them to enter into ours. I realize this is so countercultural, but Jesus, Jesus regularly says, culture may do this, but you, you live differently. My, my people live 
different kinds of lives. My, my prayer is that we would have the courage to say no to even good things in order to say yes to the best things that God has for us. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us well beyond what we could ever deserve or imagine. God, I, I pray that whatever names kind of popped into our minds right now, that you would give us courage and strength and wisdom and how to, how to be more intentional with those relationships. Some of us, God, I, I have the sense that maybe our, our calendars are packed so full that like, we find so much of our identity in what we're able to do. Remind us, God, that you love us just as we are. That we don't have to earn your affection or favor or delight that you see us fully and completely and you call us beloved. So God, help us to have the courage to slow when culture says speed up. To come near when culture says keep at a distance. And to serve others when culture says hold on to your own. God, help us to live differently. Help us to live like you. We pray in your name. Amen.